All right. Hey, Joe. Hey, Billy. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really good. We're here in beautiful Boston. Beautiful Boston. It's uh, it's good to be here with you. It's good to see you in person for once. <laughs> it is. Usually you're over the phone and we're talking, but now we're in person and I'm super excited about this. Yeah, this is this is fantastic. There's going to be some great information today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about optimizing the community. Um, and we're with Captain Josh Smith, and he's going to have some great things to, to teach us, and we'll let him kind of expand on that. But it's, uh, it's really good information, and it, without this information, uh, you know, getting neurologically intact survivors just, just really isn't going to happen. So important information today. Oh, yeah, super excited. So let's go uh, talk to Josh. Huh? Uh, you got it. Let's go. All right, buddy. Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Billy Croft and Joe Powell. All right, so today we are in Boston, Massachusetts. I don't know if I said that right. Is that does that sound right? Massachusetts. Well, you're the closest to Massachusetts, so you better say it right. I am. So uh, it's awesome to uh, be out here because I get to be with Joe Powell uh, live and in person. He doesn't sound like he's talking on his phone, so that's that's awesome. No more tin cans. No more tin cans. Uh, but today uh, we get to talk with Captain Josh Smith from Richland Fire, and he is going to shed some light on some very important information. So uh, welcome, Josh. How are you, buddy? I'm fantastic. Uh, Really excited to be here in Boston with you both and with the rest of the ACR advisory uh, group and really excited for this conversation today. Yeah, I guess we should shed some light on why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we are here. We meet annually. Uh, We are all part of the ACR advisory board, uh, which helps the consortium out. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just, uh, it's awesome to be here and have the opportunity to talk with Josh in person about this important topic of optimizing the community. Yeah. So, hey, Josh. So how was, uh, how was the flight out? The flight was fantastic. Uh, about a five hour flight. Uh, not bad at all. No delays. So I can't complain there. <laughs> and uh, Especially at this time, right? Yeah, this exactly. time, yeah. 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 So if we can do that on the way back, I'll be a happy camper. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Very good. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, as Billy said, I'm a, a captain paramedic with Richland Fire and Emergency Services in Washington State. Uh, so we're located southeast Washington State on the dry side. So when you think of all the green trees in Seattle, that's not us. Um, and uh, we serve a population of about 60,000 people, give or take. Um, and we run approximately 8,500 calls a year out of five stations currently. And we're working on building our sixth station. Um, each station is ALS transport capable, and that's about 85% of our calls, just like everybody listening today. So uh, that's kind of just a little bit about me. Uh, 20 years in the fire service, and I've worked for various um, departments and agencies from public hospital district DMS systems to uh, combination departments, uh, mainly volunteer departments, and then now with Richland, uh, which is a completely career department. Awesome. And you're a paramedic, right? Yep, paramedic. How long have you been a paramedic? Uh, only for about four and a half, five years. So, okay. Yeah. So in, in those, in that short time of being a paramedic, have you seen a lot of changes? 
You know, I think we've seen more changes when it comes to the system than maybe ALS care. I mean, I guess I could I could relate back to my paramedic training, which was all uh, ACLS guidelines, right? AHA, that's what's ingrained in you. That's what you have to know and understand to pass the national test. So from that perspective, 100%, right? Uh, our agency says, yes, we must know our, our ACLS, just like ACR says, that's a baseline. But we challenge every provider from the brand new paramedic to the seasoned paramedic, and sometimes even more important for the seasoned paramedics, to be up to date on all of the information, whether it's entitled CO2, should we shock uh, before or after 20, all these things that we've talked about, we will talk about in ACR, uh, that's changed. And I really love it because what it's challenging me to do as a paramedic is to constantly question whether or not I'm treating this patient appropriately, right? And not just appropriately based upon the, the guidelines, but really be a thinking paramedic and not a canned, this is what my protocols say, so this is why I do it, right? Yeah, that's, uh, we, we talked about that uh, last week yeah. about, you know, critical thinking, you know, on, on these calls. Um, everything that we do matters, you know, I believe that. And, you know, I'm guilty of it, you know, following that protocol and just saying this is what I got to do and really not critically thinking about what I'm doing and what's going to happen when I do this or what's happening inside of the body um, when I'm doing this procedure. So, um, yeah, I love the change to it really geeks me out to, you know, use that uh, that brain that uh, is, is between my two ears. So um, pretty yeah, awesome. You know, I think uh, I think protocols are guidelines. Right. And, and you've got to look at the whole picture to, to really kind of, you know, kind of a holistic paramedic. Right. Where you're looking at the whole picture and what's going on with your patient. What kind of outcomes are you seeing? What how are they responding to your care? Do you need to make different decisions? And, you know, the protocol is great, but it but it's simply a guideline on how you might treat a patient based on their how they're presenting. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of this stuff that we talk about, we're talking about optimizing the patient you know, with our protocols, but, you know, there's another piece of that that is super important. That's optimizing the community. So, uh, Josh, you guys in, in Richland, you guys do a fantastic job with this. Can you kind of give us an overview of what that means to your department when you optimize the community? Yeah. So when we speak of optimizing community, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it really goes back to that system, right? We want to build a system that is resilient and that is beneficial for our out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients. And so uh, what we realized really back in 2018 and probably before that, but 2018 is really when we started to, to push on it at the very end and still to this day is, is making sure that when we think of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, we don't just think internally, what do we do pre-hospital? You know, we, we really do analyze and critically analyze those protocols but if we want a complete return on investment with our, our time, money, and resources, the equipment we purchase, the time we put into training, we really need to make sure that we have good telecommunicator CPR, that they're receiving those phone calls, they're dispatching us quickly, and that they're getting hands on chest with the bystander. And so when we think about optimizing community, you think of every player within that out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, we engage them. And we say, hey, we want to increase neurologically intact survival. You're a very important piece of that puzzle. And so we need you to be engaged, right? And so we've got champions from, from the community, from the business community, from the school systems, uh, the local hospitals, and our fire department, and everybody in between. And when we host our community education classes, which we'll probably get into, 
we tell them why they're important and we paint that picture very clearly to them. Um, it impacts them closely and then we get them basically engaged, right? So now they're not only uh, understanding what they have to do, but why they have to do it and the importance behind it because it's going to save their loved one's life. Cool, cool. So, I mean, so Josh, what does that, what does that mean to me as a paramedic? I mean, um, you know, you're very well spoken, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, overview there kind of, my, but I mean, you know, I go out, I, I get a call, I go out, I, I take care of the patient, I drop them off at the hospital. How does that, you know, as a, as a medic, what does that, what do you, what are you trying to, what am I, what are you trying to tell me to do? Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So how this relates back to us as paramedics and EMTs providers is really, like I said, it's more return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm going to spend the next, you know, I've been in this career for 20 years, I've got another 15 to 20 left. And if I really want to look back at my career and say, you know, I got the most out of everything I put into it, I can't just focus on myself, you know? And so I think I would encourage every paramedic, every EMT, every, everybody in pre-hospital EMS, no matter where you find yourself, um, get engaged in the community aspect of it. You know, go to your leaders and ask them if they've thought about um, not just providing a, maybe an AHA certification class to the community, but how do we truly engage them, right? Because um, when I arrived on a scene and I didn't have bystander CPR being performed, I knew that even though we might be a dialed-in ALS transport-capable uh, unit, we probably would not be transporting them because we wouldn't be able to get ROSC. And more importantly, if we got ROSC, their downtime without compressions, without perfusion of the brain, you know, for four to six to eight minutes really didn't give them a chance to be neurologically intact. And so, you know, I'll kick this story out there just briefly because it's really what I lead on. It's really what continues to, to keep me passionate about this is, is, is getting on scene. Great response times, two paramedic units, a battalion chief, a police officer getting on scene, 54-year-old male, no com comorbidities to know of, witnessed by his wife, no bystander CPR, um, and prior to ACR really mindsets, we went through ALS, uh, ACLS guidelines, and unfortunately, we didn't get the gentleman back. And so I look at that and say, you know, not just what can we do better, which we've improved upon what we do, but how can we make sure that that wife knows what she can do to prime that pump before we arrive? Because we shocked this gentleman out of BFib straight into asystole, and he's not around anymore. And so it's those things, you know, take those things as, as paramedics and EMTs. When you have those experiences, reflect, you know, healthy reflection is very beneficial, right? Because that helps us improve our system. And don't just think about what can we do as paramedics to improve the system, but what can we do to prepare our community members to enhance that system? Yeah, but come on, man. We're, we're the fire department. <laughs> come on, man. We're, we're the ones that they call to, to mitigate the situation, right? So I mean, you, you, we got to rely on the, the public? 100%, right? I mean, well, and you, I think the most important piece there, Billy, now it's a great question, right? We ask ourselves, because this is just the only thing we do, especially if you're a fire-based EMS system, right? You know, we're, we're responsible for so many other emergencies and training for other things that when I get back from the call, maybe I go, you know, that ran really good, or maybe it didn't go so good. Let's train on some cardiac rest stuff later. I don't have enough time to, to engage the community. But we talk about it so much in Richland. You know, our mission is to protect and enhance the quality of life. And we look at how do we reach that? Well, the other thing we look at is how can we add the most value to the community? Because there might be a day 
where some private agency comes into the, the city of Richmond and says, hey, you pay the fire department way too much to provide this service. So we can do it much better and for cheaper. So how have we added value to the community before that third party comes in so that when our community members are met with that decision, they say, no, these guys truly care and invest into us. And so you look at from kind of a, a, a bigger level, right? It's not about you. You didn't get into this career to serve you and what you think is good. You got into it to, to prepare the community to live healthy and prosperous lives. And this is how you do that, right? So make sure that we're good at our jobs. But then in cardiac arrest, if you want to show up and be a rock star, prepare them to be rock stars. And then that's going to make you shine. And then it's going to make the ED shine. And then that patient's going to return home. And you get to celebrate their life and meet them in person. And I'll tell you what when we complete this whole chain of survival and this heart safe community approach, uh, I think it makes everybody better in the process. Uh, let me, let me jump in Billy. Cause I mean, you're talking about ROI return on investment and uh, you know, uh, and, and, and a lot of great things there, but come on, I've been a paramedic for, I shouldn't say this, but like over 40 years. Right. And people don't survive cardiac arrest. Should I really be investing my time, energy, money, uh, educating the public? when these people are just gonna die anyway. So I'll return that with another question, right? So in your fire service career as a paramedic, why don't people survive cardiac arrest? Um, I don't know, tell me why. <laughs> I, I, would say, I, I would say that oftentimes it's not because poor pre-hospital care, although yes, there's plenty of room for improvement. Yeah. But I would say traditionally, communities aren't focused on enhancing the community approach. We're, we're focused on EMS systems and mm -hmm. fire beast EMS systems, focusing inwardly on what we do protocol wise. But the more and more data you pull, we're not there for 48 minutes. So uh, what are you gonna do before that? Because statistically within 10 minutes, they're brain dead uh, before you know, we even get there. So if you're gonna give them a 20% chance of survival, there really is nothing that we're gonna do ACR wise when we think of a pre-hospital care to save that patient. So so what you're saying is we need, you know, even if we provide the, the highest quality pre-hospital care, we need a bridge, right? We need something to bridge that four, eight, 12, 15 minutes it takes for us to get there and do really good pre-hospital care. Is that, is that what you're saying? 100%. And I think that you just always keep in mind, it's a system, right? Uh, I heard it first from Dr. Mickey Eisenberg from King County. You know, if you've seen one EMS system, you've seen one EMS system. Yeah, right. And the focus is building that system because it doesn't matter where you live, King County, uh, Benton County, where I live in Richland or anywhere in Illinois or California, uh, if you don't enhance the system, you know, if, you're, if your TCPR, your telecommunicator CPR at your dispatch center is not being provided and they're slow on dispatching you and slow to recognize cardiac arrest, it doesn't matter how good any of us do. If they aren't recognizing what the problem is, it's delaying everything. So yeah, you have to improve the system. Yeah, so, makes sense. So, you know, I come from fire EMS side as, as you do and as Joe does. So that's, that's my bubble I come from. It just seems like a lot. We got a lot on our plate already, Josh. So, you know, we're doing training, fire training, we're doing inspections, we're, you know, all this other stuff. I mean, how do we, how do we engage 
the community. How, how did you guys do it? And how did you tackle that? That seems like a mountain to tackle. Yeah. So um, I'll start off with at the time of, of Heart Safe Richland, which is our initiative, and we'll get into that. At the time of creating Heart Safe Richland, it really spurred from, like I said, that one call that I finally got fed up with, right? After after nearly 17 years of seeing a ton of non-survival from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, uh, I said I shot an email off to one of my battalion chiefs, and I was a firefighter at the time, a brand-new paramedic, mind you. So it would be very easy for him to say, hey, you know, pump the brakes, right? <laughs> You've been in this gig as a paramedic for 20 minutes and this is your second code why don't you chill out let us run the department and you do your thing right um which is unfortunately i think maybe what happens across our nation right uh but he was receptive because they had already been thinking administratively on how do we impact the community well Mm -hmm. when you look at the data we have the largest opportunity within our city right to save lives when it comes to out of hospital cardiac arrest we have very few fires with verified occupants. doesn't mean that can't happen. And in one fire, you might be able to save 20 people. I get it, right? But statistically, that's not going to happen, right? So cardiac arrest is where we can affect the most life. And so when I said, hey, chief, we're doing a great job, I think, pre-hospital-wise. There's plenty of room for improvement, but we're not engaging the community. And I've taught some CPR. I think there's some unique ways that we can really engage the community. I don't know that, you know, hosting certified HA classes is the way. I think we come at it from a custom way to add more value. And so when you look at adding value to the community, you know, and you reflect upon everything else we should be doing or are doing, um, you have to prioritize, you know, as Jocko Willink would say, right? Prioritize and execute, right? And we're not going to get to everything. Never will. I don't, I don't care what you focus on. So you got to have a reason as to why you start where you start. And for us, we start out of hospital cardiac arrest as one of our primary initiatives because we can impact the most life and that meets our mission, right? So you are trusting the community to do their part, to do their part in cardiac arrest, to see it and recognize it, get 911 going and start compressions right away. In your in, in your thought about this, has has you see have you seen this um, inspire the community to do even more because of this? Yeah, I think that what what it does is it creates relationship, right? And I don't want to sound you know soft and, and soppy here, but realistically, any interaction you have in the community, whether it's uh, through a fire or through a medical call or through anything else, a public education event, you should be building relationships. And they should be good ones, right? Mm-hmm. Most, of the, most of the time, I think we all do, right? And so as you invest into them and what we've done through our classes that are customized to our audience, to our community, using the data that we have, we're fully transparent. We tell them, here's the, here's the problem we have. Here's the data that backs that up. And here's the data that, that backs up our solution. And guess what? That solution, realistically, even more than out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, whether it's stroke, recognizing somebody with a heart attack, recognizing fires in the community, whatever your data shows you that, hey, this is how we add value to the community. The nice thing about HeartSafe Richland is we can take the foundation of this initiative, which is building relationships, creating shared values amongst stakeholders and community members. And then we say, hey, 
we're doing great out of hospital cardiac arrest now, but guess what? Overdose is a right. huge problem, right? Take the foundation of the relationships you've built, the curriculum you've built, tweak some of the details, and now you've got a an overdose initiative, right? Whether that, you know, because that's going to add value to, to your community, and so it's a plug and play thing. And realistically, I think it goes back to, and I'll give kudos to my leadership, recognizing that it doesn't matter what the topic is. Our priority is to add value to the community, and that's through saving lives and enhancing the quality of life. Nice, nice. Hey, I like the, uh, once you've built the foundation, then then it's really easy to move forward in different initiatives. That's a, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. So you're talking about HeartSafe. Um, can you explain what HeartSafe is, what, what it is to become a HeartSafe community? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in... The last few years, I've been really fortunate to be part of the Citizen CPR Foundation's uh, Program Advisory Committee on Heart Safe Communities. And uh, that's a pretty long-winded title or organizational name. But really what that means is when we first kind of geared up to improve out of hospital cardiac arrest in Richland, uh, Battalion Chief James Hempstead said, hey, check out Heart Safe Communities. I've heard of it. Is it something for us? And what I ended up finding, uh, kind of a long story short, was I got connected with uh, Brian Platts, a police officer out of Coon Rapids, Minnesota, and then David Hiltz, who is the director of Heart Safe Communities. And those two gentlemen are kind of legacy co-founders of Heart Safe Communities. And what you'll find is if you Google Heart Safe Communities, there's hundreds, if not thousands, uh, out there. But what happened in 2019 is uh, the Citizen CPR Foundation adopted Heart Safe Communities and said, okay, instead of having subjective um, kind of qualification to become a heart safe community, we're going to objectify that, right? And so when we researched it, David Hiltz was just kind of on the brink of formalizing the 13 objective criteria and kind of through conversation recognized that we were passionate about pursuing uh, neurologically intact survival and said, well, here you go. Here's the 13 criteria. Do you guys meet this? And is there something we can improve upon? You know, is this, is this a complete package? And that really helped us take the passion that we had to improve cardiac arrest survival and use this systematic process to then focus on the entire system. So when you hear of, of advanced cardiac resuscitation and heart safe thrown around, realistically, they're married together. If you're a heart safe community, you should be an ACR community too. Because as you go through the 13 objective criteria, one of those criteria to be designated heart safe is pre-hospital care, right? And we were, we were basically on the brink of launching our, I'd say an ACR light approach. And I submitted those protocols and said, hey, this is what we do, right? Um, and there was, you know, no heads shook otherwise as to, okay, yeah, your pre-hospital system is competitive. You're outside the box thinkers. Uh, so that was never challenged. But if we would have stopped there, we would not have been heart safe. So it addresses um, what you're doing in your school systems. It addresses what you're doing um, with local partners. How are you going to create a sustainable initiative, right? Because, uh, you know, Billy and Joe and, and myself, we're all passionate about this, right? But what happens when we go away, right? If you take me out of heart safe Richland, it doesn't go away, right? right. There might be some lag time to build back up maybe what I was doing, but through that, when we worked through that systematic process, we went outside of Richland Fire Department. We went to the city of Richland and said, hey, city manager, marketing department, 
finance department, all this stuff. We're going to need this from you to be successful. And in return, you get to be a part of saving lives, right? And now they're invested. They come to us at Parks and Rec and say, hey, we haven't had a class here in a long time or in a while. Can we help market this for you? Can we do this for you, right? Mm, buy-in. Nice, man. Got some buy-in there. Yeah. Right? Especially yeah. when you get some uh, some saves going with the community. Yeah. So um, you said there's 13 criteria? There is. Can, can you, like, briefly kind of go through those or? This is a test. This is a test. Well, no, well <laughs> you know, I, I just want to give them an idea of what, you know, if – if the community wanted to go to a heart safe uh, initiative, you know, what is it? I mean, you know, we'll definitely put, you know, um, a link to heart safe and the CPR foundation. I'll take it from there, Billy. All right. So. You take it. There. <laughs> so He's going to bail you out. Billy. So the, uh, That's why you're here, dude. That's, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm good at breaking things. I'm big, strong. Yeah. So it, what I'll encourage every listener to do is go to the Citizen CPR Foundation, right? In there, there's a link called Initiatives, and one of them is Heart Safe Communities. You'll go in there, and there's a document, very self-explanatory. There's uh, actually two documents. One is the 13 criteria, very simple. And then the other is a resource guide to completing the 13 criteria. Now, I'm not going to um, challenge myself to name off 1 through 13 <laughs> right now. So I will give you a, uh, a brief kind of overview, right? So it starts out with you have to have a champion, right? Uh, in our agency, that champion initially was me. And then I, I emailed my battalion chief. He was on board. I had a captain who is now a battalion chief uh, who, who allowed me as a firefighter at his station to say, hey, you know what? He recognized that his responsibility as a captain was to support what I brought to the table, not to tell mm. me what I brought to the table, but to support what I did, right? And so he got behind me and championed what I did. And then our, our chief of the department said, this is fantastic. I'm going to help you. And then everybody else did, right? And so I think that, you know, obviously through my one little, like, kind of fed up tantrum email, <laughs> hey, we need to do this. How can I help? We have multiple champions now. And then two... I don't know what two is, but then it goes through right. the process of, do you have telecommunicator CPR? And surprisingly, there's not a lot of agencies throughout the nation that do, and if they do, it's really not that great, right? They don't have protocols, they don't have guidelines, they don't have uh, funding for training. And so, you know, you identify your weaknesses, and it really gives you an opportunity to build that relationship with the dispatch center, and then communicate the shared vision, and work on it from there, right? Um, and then you go through and, and you talk about your school systems. Do they have emergency response plans? We have fire drills. Why don't we have cardiac arrest drills? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. on a on a, at least a biannual basis. We're not we're not trying to add workload, but when you go in there and tell them this is the opportunity you have to save one of your children, it just so happened that the administrator that I talked to had been uh, he had performed compressions as a bystander four times in his life. So he had some buy-in already, mm -hmm. oh, uh, yeah. but he also he also was a, a great resource in telling me some of the weaknesses. You know where where we would show up as pre-hospital providers, grab the patient, leave, never address him, mm. and yeah. that opened our eyes up to a weakness in our system. And then you go through and you talk about um, your pre-hospital protocols, and then it ends with criteria thirteen of being you know secondary measures. You know one of the things I really hope that we start to track and and we're able to really kind of tie back to close the loop is comorbidities in our patients, you know, uh, because if we can say, hey, we see this, uh, this consistency where people with X, Y, and Z comorbidities 
are not surviving cardiac arrest. Well, then we can help and support our hospital in their public education efforts to decrease you know, coronary artery disease, which we already know is a contributor, but all these other things, because if we can if we can decrease the amount of cardiac arrest we have, that's the best way to save neurologically intact mm-hmm. patient, right? Yeah. So. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, yeah, um, and for so long, Joe, uh, you know, I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either. I'm just going to go run the call, do my thing, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no wonder we had a 9% survivability <laughs> rate across across the board. I, I have, a, I have a, So I have a quick story for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've been doing this, uh, we used to call it cardiac survivability in, in Rialto when we started, and uh, we've been doing it since, uh, I guess, 2015. And we've been lecturing on it, you know, and promoting it since 2017, I believe. So three, four years back, I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of the country, uh, doing some presentations and we're sitting down to dinner with a bunch of uh, departments and uh, this one department uh, gentleman comes up to me and says hey hey Joe can man can I just have five minutes can I have five minutes can I just need you know I just, can, I just five minutes I'm like yeah man absolutely let's go so you know he says man we've been doing your thing for uh, for a couple of years now and uh, you know and our our Ross grade has has improved the significantly but we've got uh, you know, be honest with you, we've got zero, and I mean zero neurologically intact survivors, right? And I'm like, huh, okay, okay, well, tell me what you're doing. So we go through the whole, of course, we focus on patient care first, right? What is the, what is the, what are you doing? How are you, what kind of airway are you using? What are you doing with defib and epi and all this other stuff? And I'm scratching my head, and I'm like, hmm, well, it sounds you're doing like you're doing most of the stuff, right? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't quite get it. You know, what's your, what's your, you know, and I finally said, well, what's your dispatch system look like? And he said, well, what do you mean? Like, well, what kind of, you know, are you getting hands on the chest early? Is your dispatchers getting hands on the chest early? And uh, he's like, no, actually, our dispatchers get an address and hang up. I'm like, well, there's light, you know, light bulb comes on above my head. I'm like, okay, well, we know why you're getting Ross because you're doing a great job of the pre-hospital care component, but you we're not, not getting neurologically intact arrival because there's no flow. There's no blood flow. There's no perfusion for the first 10, 12, 15 minutes of the cardiac arrest. So it's kind of an example of exactly what you're talking about, Josh. It's fantastic stuff. Absolutely. I, I think just in closing, because I know we're going to wrap this up pretty quick, but one of the things I really want to encourage anybody who's listening, obviously, uh, but especially if you're a leader in your in your agency, wherever you're at, um, or maybe you're, you're just a community member and you're going to be that champion, right? Um, leadership has to understand that this isn't just part of your cardiac arrest program, but this is how you're you're building mm. that political equity with your council members, right? So the next time you want to go and and get another fire station or get another piece of apparatus or, or do something productive, right? Uh, they understand that through this kind of shared vision of cardiac arrest survival, they see how much you've invested in just the quality of life in your community. So yeah. I would just encourage you to, to, anytime you're thinking of an initiative, whether it's cardiac arrest, stroke, trauma, overdose, structure fires, how are you adding value through this? And more importantly, how are you developing shared visions amongst your entire community? Because that's where we found the most success. That's why this is gonna be sustainable. And uh, that's why we're gonna save more lives. Outstanding. Fantastic. I got one question for you. Yes. How does this fit with, with the moonshot, with our 2030 moonshot? Tell me how it fits real quick and we'll, we'll get this wrapped up. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, hopefully by now, right? We've said your, your story just before this painted the perfect picture. Uh, if we focus only on pre-hospital care, 
will never reach the moonshot. Mm. Uh, if I focus only on bystander CPR, I'll never reach the moonshot, right? <laughs> we have to focus on the system. And so if you listen to Joe's podcast and not mine and say, we're going to do everything Joe said, okay, great. But you won't reach the moonshot. And so I think that's the value of this kind of advisory board and our perspectives is that, you know, Billy and Joe and myself and, and everybody else who's part of really the entire consortium, what we want is perspective because we all want better systems. And although, yes, we're a heart safe community in Richland, we're not doing everything perfect. And so uh, we want to reach that moonshot and it's only through the entire system. Yeah, very good, very good. Very, very good. And I think that's why the consortium is, is so important. Uh, and we talked about this because there's agencies that, uh, like Richland, that are very well versed in heart safe and, you know, optimizing the community. And if you have, you know, questions about that, um, you know, they can answer some of those questions and guide you through that. So uh, that's the beauty of having that resource. So um, we'll have uh, links in the show notes to how to get to HeartSafe and, you know, uh, start that process. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Um, fantastic being with you here in Boston. Anything to add, Joe? Uh, thank you, my friend. That's uh, fantastic information and uh, just uh, good to have you here. We'll have a great couple of days here in Boston. Good. Yep. It's, this is awesome. As always, we're always trying to get better tomorrow, right? Better tomorrow. Better tomorrow. Better tomorrow. All right. We'll see you next week. This podcast and its postings are for general informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, medical direction, medical oversight, or medical advice. No doctor-patient or doctor-healthcare provider relationship is formed. This podcast and advanced cardiac resuscitation are not a substitute for any local, state, or federal policies, protocols, or treatment guidelines. The views and opinions of the hosts and the guests of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view or policy of advanced cardiac resuscitation, its officers, members, or member agencies. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by advanced cardiac resuscitation.